0: John chapter 20, verses 24 to 31. Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks,
1: Peter. Very good evening to you. Sally, thank you very much for the reading. Let's pray together. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Heavenly Father, may we know more of the blessing of believing in you, of having life in your name. And help us to learn from your servant Thomas, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if anyone has ever said this to you. Have you ever had this asked of you? Have you ever thought it? How can you believe in something and someone you can't see? Hands up. Has anyone ever thought that for themselves or had that question asked by someone else? Here, we got a few. Yeah, quite a few. How can you believe in something you can't see? How can you believe in someone you can't say? I wonder what you say, whether it's to yourself when you have that question whether it's to a friend, a family member, a neighbour, a colleague, what what do you say, what do you try and turn to? Or what about this question, if we broaden it out a little bit more? How do you find the reality that the God you believe in, you can't see? How do you you find that? Is that something you find easy? That you can't see the God you believe in? Is it something you find difficult? Difficult? is it something that puzzles you is it something that frustrates you that leaves you with questions or how about if we take it one step further how do you find the fact that the central event in your faith the resurrection of Jesus you you didn't see it you weren't there we haven't seen the Lord how do you find that Again, do you find it easy? Do you find it difficult? Does it puzzle you? Does it um, frustrate you, those questions, those doubts? Or when others ask the same? Well, tonight, as Rodan said, we carry on our series looking at the resurrected Jesus and these encounters with Jesus. And tonight, of course, as we've heard, famously Thomas. And if we know anything about Thomas, we know a certain word that comes before his name not typically incredulity, I struggled to say that word, but an easier word to say at least, doubting. Doubting Thomas. And I've loved living with Thomas the last few weeks. I've had the unique experience of preaching on Thomas at 11 o'clock three weeks ago and then thinking about Thomas more afterwards and thinking, what did I make of it? And I must admit, the last few weeks it's been like uh, replaying a conversation with someone. You know when you talk to someone and then you sort of replay what they've said, and the more you think about it, the more you're not sure. Well, I've thought more about Thomas, and to be honest, that's the place I'm in, and I'm I'm actually thinking differently about Thomas tonight than what I did three weeks ago. So if you want to hear what I thought three weeks ago, you can listen back. But tonight, we're thinking about Thomas again, for those who were there that time. And verse 25, of course, is his famous line. We're on page 112, The, the fingers in the nail marks, although as we see later, we never know if he does that. We never know if the fingers in the side happen, but verse 25 does. Thomas said to them, that is the other disciples, unless I see the marks of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. You see, what's happened, if we read all of chapter 20, the other disciples have seen Jesus on the first Easter evening. That's verse 19, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week. So the other disciples were all there. We've no idea where Thomas was and what Thomas was doing, but he missed out. You know that feeling? Have you ever been in the wrong place at the wrong time? Well, that was Thomas. We don't know where he was, but he wasn't there, and therefore the disciples come to him and say we've seen the Lord and Thomas says I don't believe you I don't believe you I don't believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is risen unless I see him and put my hands in his side and so for Thomas in many ways the question I began with is the question that Thomas could have said How can you believe in something or someone that you can't see? And so this is Thomas tonight. For Thomas, seeing is believing. That's my first point. Seeing is believing. And Thomas says, if I don't see it, I'm not going to believe. And I've been thinking, this is where I think Thomas is interesting and puzzling. Are we meant to cheer Thomas on and say, yes, that's absolutely right. Unless we see Jesus, we can't believe. Or are we meant to say, well, Thomas, shouldn't you... Believed in your friends, the apostles? Think about Thomas and what he's seen and what he's heard the last three years. He's heard Jesus say again and again that he will rise from the dead. I hadn't realized, but Thomas knows of at least three resurrection appearances in the Gospels. You've got the young girl that's talked about in Matthew, Mark and and Luke who Jesus raises from the dead. He'd have heard about that even if he didn't see it. You've got another instance in Luke 7, a widow's son, that the passage says all the disciples are there and they see it. And then famously, most well-known, of course, is Lazarus. Potentially just a few weeks or months before, Thomas has seen someone emerge from the tomb. Alive. And something else I had no idea about is that when Jesus commanded the twelve to first go out, the first followers, Thomas and the others, the disciples, the apostles, Jesus told them, amongst other things, to raise the dead. So in other words, Thomas is someone who has been with Jesus for three years, Jesus has told the disciples often he will rise from the dead, he has seen or heard about at least three resurrection occurrences, and he's been told that he himself is to go and raise the dead. And he doesn't believe in the apostles. And I don't know if I've just had, you know, been a bit grumpy the last few weeks. I've had a holiday, so it's surprising. And I'm now a bit harder on Thomas. I'm not sure. You'll have to tell me afterwards. But the other clincher for me, I think, is that think what's just happened to the apostles. Roland spoke on this a few weeks ago. Do you remember what happens? Jesus comes to the disciples on that first Easter evening. And he says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And he breathes on them, the Holy Spirit, and then he talks about the forgiveness of sins that they will tell to everyone. So in other words, the disciples have been given this mission, this message to the whole world. And the first person they tell about it is Thomas. And Thomas, their friend, their colleague, the apostle, doesn't believe. And I've always thought about Thomas. Thomas has this weak between saying, I don't believe, and then seeing Jesus. We know that because verse 26 says, a week later, there's a whole gap, there's a whole week in the narrative. Thomas is wondering, is it really true? And I've never thought, but the other apostles are probably thinking, Jesus has given us this mission to the world, and our best mate doesn't believe us. How's it going to work? And then, of course, the next week, we get an action replay. Almost the same scene exactly. Jesus comes, emerges through the doors, though the doors are locked, because they're still scared. He says, peace be with you. And then he speaks to Thomas. Those famous words. Verse 27. Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Now, Jesus is gracious and patient and kind and loving with Thomas the doubter and us as doubters too. The the literal Greek word is not so much doubt but unbelief. So Jesus' command, and it is a command, is don't disbelieve, believe. And for Thomas, in that moment, seeing is believing. Believing. And he believes. And of course belief isn't just sort of ticking a box in your mind and saying yes I agree with something. Do you see what Thomas does? It's not so much what he does although I imagine him falling at his feet before the Lord Jesus as he says those words. Verse 29 My Lord and my God. The greatest of sceptics has just delivered the greatest of statements. My Lord and my God, as he can see Jesus face to face, as he can see the scars in his hands and side. And this, in many ways, is the climax and the high point of the whole of John's Gospel. We heard from Sarah last week, the tale of fishing and Simon Peter. But in many ways, chapter 20 is the end and then 21 is an epilogue. And so John Thomas' words, my Lord and my God, is sort of the conclusion. Can you imagine it? One Jewish man saying to another Jewish man, you are God. Have you ever had it with friends, family members who say, oh, did, did Jesus really ever say he was God? Did, did the gospel writers, did the first Christians really believe Jesus was God? Well, this is a good place to turn to. My Lord and my God. Do you see how personal it is? That's what the resurrected Jesus does for us. He, he turns our whole life around so that we worship him and we can say with Thomas, Jesus, you are my Lord. Of course, I've still got my doubts and my questions and the things that trouble me, but I know that Jesus is alive and he is my Lord and my God. Do you remember right back at the beginning of the Gospel, words we hear at Christmas? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then those magical words, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Well, here at the end of the Gospel, here is the Word made flesh with hands and side with scars. And Thomas gets it. The greatest of doubters becomes the greatest of believers. And so for us, as we think about the resurrected Christ, we weren't there, we didn't see it, we didn't get to put our hands in his side, but we hear Thomas and he's offered, us, offered to us as a great example of what faith means. To say with all our hearts, Jesus, you are my God. You are my Lord. And so that's, how Thomas comes to believe seeing is believing for Thomas but there is another way to believe in this passage verse 29 did you see it did you hear it did you hear what Jesus says Jesus says to Thomas have you believed because you've seen me and then it's as though Jesus in his mind's eye turns to the church throughout the ages and across the world and he thinks of you he thinks of me you see what he says Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. There is another way to believe. For for most of the church, throughout all of history, have not seen the risen Jesus. But there is a blessing to be found for those who've not seen him face to face. And I wonder if this is a, a slight, it might be a slight rebuke to Thomas. He missed out on the chance of that blessing to believe merely on account of the apostles' words. We've seen the Lord. But we can have that blessing, that blessing of knowing that we have come to believe in Jesus. Not by seeing, but another way as we'll see. And this is vital because if you think about it, if the only way to believe in Jesus is by seeing, then 40 days after Jesus is on earth, when he goes up to heaven after the resurrection, Christianity is finished. The church is over. If you have to see to believe. But there's another way. There's another way to believe. And that way is, in John's gospel at least, by reading. Reading is believing. Have a look what John says right after Thomas, immediately after that statement that those who haven't seen are blessed. What does John, the gospel writer, say? Verse 30. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. John the Gospel writer says, reading is believing. The whole point of this book that you have in your hand, of this episode, the climax to the whole Gospel, is so that you believe, so that we have life, knowing God now and forever being joined and part of the family of God as his children. And that is now possible for all of us through the testimony of those who first saw, like Thomas, like the others, like John who came to write it down. I think when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, we can often feel like we were in the wrong place at the wrong time. A bit like Thomas before we saw the Lord. If only we'd been there. If only we'd been there that first Sunday that second Sunday when Thomas was there, then it would be easier to believe. But John, the Gospel writer, says, actually, you are blessed. Blessed to believe by hearing, receiving, listening to and reading the words of the apostles. And this is how it always works with testimony and witness to things that are spectacular. If you weren't there, you have to rely on someone who was. And one of the biggest examples of this is one of the greatest atrocities of the 20th century. No one would believe what happened at the Holocaust and in the concentration camps unless those who were there said it. And even when we read those accounts, if you have and heard some of those stories, you still almost can't quite believe it. That's a very, very different example, obviously. But something similar is happening in the greatest event and the greatest moment in human history. We have to rely on those who were there. And so when we think to ourselves, how can I believe in something I haven't seen? Or when friends say, how can you believe in a God and an event like the resurrection that you weren't there at? Then we believe in the testimony of others. We believe their words. We believe the eyewitnesses, the earwitnesses, those who heard, those who saw, those who perhaps put their hand in Jesus' side. And so we are blessed. Jesus says to us tonight, Brian, blessed are you because you believe when you haven't seen. He said, Sally, blessed are you because you have believed and not seen. He says to Rosie, blessed are you because you have seen because you have not seen and you have believed. And this life for us, it's not reading as though it's just some intellectual exercise or just something we do like a textbook. This believing is life itself. Think about the wounds of our Saviour. Those wounds of love that speak of sacrifice. Let's speak of blood poured out for you and for me. On our Alpha courses recently, one of the guests asked, why do we sacrifice so much to God? Why why does he want so much from us? But if we see what he has done for us, if we see the wounds in his side and on his hands, then we see the sort of God we have, one who gives and gives and gives. And someone who's captured this beautifully is the British minister from the First World War, Edward Shiletto. He wrote a famous poem, Jesus of the Scars, reflecting on the wounds of Jesus, the scars of Jesus. And this is what his final verse says. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a god has wounds, but thou alone. Giletto reflected in the horrors and the aftermath of First World War on the amount of bloodshed and agony and heartache. And in so doing, he reflected on the wounds of Christ. In our lives, we have wounds. To be human is to have scars. Scars people can see, scars that are hidden. Scars that people know of. Scars that are known only to us. And Shiletto says the wounds of Jesus are what speak to our own wounds, to our own sorrows and sadnesses, the sufferings that we bear. And so to have life in the name of this God, to believe that this God is our Saviour, our Christ, our Lord and our God, is to know the greatest of peace, even in the hardest of times. And to know his love enveloping us, those arms outstretched, still in heaven with scars. This week as we celebrate the Ascension Day, we remember that the same Jesus who was resurrected is in heaven and still has those wounds, those wounds of love. And so for us, seeing isn't believing. We didn't get to see. But reading, receiving, accepting, trusting the words of those who did enable us to access not only the risen Christ, but the one whose wounds still speak today and to us. Let us pray. Jesus Christ, we worship you this evening as our Lord and our God. The God who would go through death for us. The God who would wear scars for us. The God who would triumph, even over death for us. And so we praise you. We worship you. And we say, my Lord and my God. Amen.